Hello, Hot Stove Radio listeners. Sean McFadden, Technical Director here. Happy to announce we are having a drawing for one of our lucky listeners to win an overnight stay at Hotel Andra, two tickets to the radio show, and a gift certificate to lunch at one of our joints. To enter, send an email to Pamela H at TomDouglas.com describing how you listen to the show, radio, podcast, or YouTube. Please put staycation in the subject line. Again, that email is Pamela H at TomDouglas.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Submissions are due by March 10th. She put the lime in the cooking now she drank and poured up. She put the lime in the cooking now she drank and poured up. She put the lime in the cooking now she drank and poured up. She put the lime in the cooking now she All right, welcome to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. It's Tom Douglas. And Terry Rochero, the chef in the hat. We are thrilled to be here with you today. We're hoping that this is going to be a very... Delicious weekend for you. You're listening to us uh, in your car, in your home, in your kitchen, in your, you know, uh, Jackie's over getting the greenhouses ready for spring gardening. Isn't it hard to believe that we have to think about this kind of stuff right now? No, it's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome to believe. And when I went to my workout, yes, I work out. I work out. I'm sexy. I, I sung that song to my waiter this morning. And she about vomited on me. Yeah. Yeah. My workout this morning, it was getting a little bit light out uh, yeah. before my 7 a.m. workout. So uh, we have a large show today. We're coming to you from the beautiful Hotel Andra. Chef Annie is in the house. Yes. Yeah. Nobody cares. <laughs> I didn't hear one audience <laughs> clap. Uh, today, ordinary to extraordinary lasagna. I haven't ordered lasagna out, I, I, except at our restaurant. Uh, well, 100 I, years. I already know where I have. 100 where, years. I already know where I have the best lasagna, so... Oh, okay. Oh. I want to hear that later in the show. Rachel Bell is going to be here with Tales from Your Last Meal, her very well-known podcast. We're having a, a class coming up here with the food of Yemen, and I know nothing about it. I'm, I want to group that like, like you do Asia, right? You want to group it all together, Yemen, Iraqi, Irani food, you know, but it's not. It's, it's all no. very unique and interesting. And Can't wait to hear. So Bridget Chartish is going to be here with chefs Muna Mirassi. I think that's how you say her name. Anyways, looking forward to that, the food of Yemen. And then uh, we're going to wrap up the show. We have some noodles to talk about with Maggie Zhu. We're going to wrap up the show with our Rub With Love Food for Thought Tasty Trivia Challenge. Uh, Chef, I know um, your taste of the week might not be a taste so much as it is a service of the as week. As it is an experience. How's an that? experience of yeah. the week, yeah. Um, went to, with some friends who were celebrating their uh, 37th anniversary I happen to be their best man, uh, Cyril and Caroline. And they're still talking to you? Yeah, we're still talking. And uh, they're still married, too. Yeah, and so anyway, we went to this place called Eight Rose, which is in... Um, Green Lake. Right, right across the Red Hand in Green Lake, uh, in that uh, PCC uh, center there. Absolutely remarkable service. I'm going to talk about that first because that was what... The highlight was was the whole experience. You know, in the, in, I feel like in the last three, four years, this especially def- during COVID. I yeah, especially say. during COVID, that yeah. you know, service definitely changed drastically. I mean, you had to eat outside. You had you had all kind of different things that came into play that were really not making it quite as it used to be. Right. Well, last night was a, a, a very, very beautiful experience of this whole thing is combined, and it felt like we were like three, four years ago. Uh, bravo to the team at uh, Eight Rose for putting this together because I was there when they first, you know, kind of opened at the beginning of when they opened. When we had them on the radio show. Right, oh, when yeah. we had them on the radio show. Maybe a year a year and a half ago. They have stepped up their game, I feel, very strongly, professionally, service-wise, 
Wine service-wise, the sommelier was outstanding, very knowledgeable, very, very nice, beautiful service, stemware, everything. Everything was together, tight. And I, was, um, I, I really want to emphasize that because not only the food is good, but everything else around it was definitely deserving of a nice dining out experience. So I really want to give them a shout-out for the work they're doing as well as Please go 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 and have a dining experience over there. It was really nice. It's you know it's priced correctly, like everybody else, and um, it was just a beautiful dining experience. Well, I think it's important how you said that is that some of that service experience that's really been lost through COVID. People yeah. often, I think, food. You know, people still cooked every day. And yeah, blah, 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 yeah, yeah. That kind of high touch service has definitely gone by the wayside in some yeah. in some cases, not in all yeah. joints, obviously, but. No, I, I think, I think uh, bravo to them for upping the game as opposed to downing the game. And uh, it's been, it's been, it was very, very cool. Yeah. I mean, so, and, and I think they deserve supply of customer, as in... Great compliment. Right, go visit. My taste of the week is kimchi noodles. Mm. Uh, and I, anyone can make this. It's not something in particular, but I bought fresh noodles at the grocery. Uh, you know, these fresh noodles, you don't have to boil so much, but I pan fried them in peanut oil. And they're just a nice, thick wheat noodle, uh-huh. kind of curly and delicious. And so when you pan fry them, they soften. Right. And then I just did a bunch of fresh ginger, garlic, crispy chili uh, paste, and a whole jar of uh, chopped kimchi. Uh-huh. Wow. And just, uh, <laughs> just made a, a cold it Must have kimchi. been nice and spicy, that whole thing. But not particularly, no, because, no. uh, you know, it was a big pile of noodles. I was, okay. I was cooking for 20. Okay. And so uh, it was a big pile of noodles. And, uh, toasted shiitakes, and it just made this nice cold noodle salad, uh, and I just I really enjoyed it. It was it was good fun. We served it with uh, we had the Kona shrimp that they are growing now oh, on shrimp nice. farms in Kona, and just a big pile of shrimp and a big pile of these chilled uh, now kimchi noodles. Those two together would go really a little well. a little way to bring a little summer spring. You know, I would say I would say spring winter into your world right. of something that's been preserved, right? Kimchi is preserved cabbage, so it's not like you need a, a summer season to have to have it, right? Right, right, it tastes right, right. fresh and all that kind of stuff, but it's been preserved. And so, you could add you could add many things to that as spring comes to, around. Yeah, that, that's the thing is that you the kimchi in. has so much flavor right. that you didn't really need to add anything to it. Right. It was it was right. awesome. And then I finished it with furikake, which is that dry shake that you can buy in the grocery store. It's Typically a mix of seaweed, seaweed sesame yeah. seed, this and that. So just sprinkle that on the top at the end. Nice, Delicious. nice it was, touch. It was good fun and it felt very fresh and and um, spring. Springy. No, no, of course. Even though it's a kimchi is kind of a winter dish in a funny way. All right, we got lots to get to. Lasagna. Let's go from ordinary to extraordinary on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, ninety-seven-three FM. <laughs> Welcome back. It's the Hot Stove Society Show. We're in downtown Seattle. It happens to be a beautiful morning that we're taping here today. 
Chef in the Chapeau was with us. Absolutely. Always lovely time with mm-hmm. you. Pamela, our producers here. Sean on technical. It's a party. It's a party here. Mm-hmm. And we have no audience today, so it seems quiet. It feels quiet. I know. It feels Last weird. week's it show, we weird. were loaded, and but we didn't put this one up for sale today because we have a couple of different things going on. Yeah. So. Uh, I'll be in Las Vegas during next week's show, of all places. I hate Las Vegas. There must be a good golf course there. Yeah, there is. And that's why I'm going. I'm going with my golf club from Scotland. Scotland. It's going to be a lot um, warmer than Scotland. It's actually going to be cold in Vegas. Is it? The high when I'm there is like 60 degrees or something. Ooh. Yeah. Let's talk lasagna, chef. I don't think of you as being a lasagna man, So, but I don't want to put your baby in a corner. So. You, you just did. Yeah, well, I, I said I don't just want to. Baby I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Pam's been trying to teach me my whole life uh, to not put baby in a corner. No. I know it's true. Uh, no, I like lasagna. I like a good lasagna. I've had many different kinds of lasagna. I happened to have a, done a stint in an Italian restaurant in Los Angeles when I met my lovely oh wife. Oh, my God. I can't Oops. believe you admitted that in public. Well, you know, I, the truth comes out. I'm getting yeah. old, so it's okay. I have no beef with that. So I'm just going to say one thing before you get started. We're taking ordinary to extraordinary. That's right. Here. So to, make a, a, to me, to make a good lasagna is to make it light, not to make it dense. The, you, Which is probably pretty typical American lasagna. Correct. Like layers of heavy meat, layers Lots of heavy of pasta, cheese. Too much yeah. pasta. Uh, I think that's what um, the issue that I have with many lasagnas I've had. Too much pasta, too much cheese, and too much tomato. It's like, you know, it's supposed to be a light dish. And um, Where did you ever get that idea? It's supposed to be a light dish. Well, when you have a good lasagna, it's not It filling. can be a light dish. Exactly. It's I'm not, not sure filling. it's supposed to be a light it's dish. It's not feeling like you're eating a, the whole horse. You it know, it's like, does. Nah, it's a meal me. in one. No way. You got to have a salad with it, and you got to have a little piece of pizza before you start. Piece of pizza, not a whole pizza. Thank you very much. Okay. Anyway, that's just me. But I cannot have a lasagna without a pasta. I, I, I mean, a salad, I mean. I got to have a salad on the side. You need that crunch. Yeah, crunch. you need a nice Fresh little crunch. fennel, arugula, kind of frizzy, kind of salad on the side, wintery salad. And I will always have lasagna in the winter. I never have lasagna in the summertime. Mm-hmm. Um, ricotta cheese, very important. Or uh, some other kind of light cheese in there. Just light up the whole thing. Just some good ground beef. And some tomato sauce, a good tomato sauce. That's a very traditional lasagna. Very traditional, but the amount and how you make it is what makes the lasagna better or not as good. Uh To to me, to make it extraordinary is to not, like I said, don't lay down every single sheet of lasagna you have because you use the whole pack and cook the whole thing. You don't have to use the whole thing. You know, just three layers, one on the bottom, one in the middle, and one on top. To me, that's enough pasta. Uh Uh-huh. Otherwise, you end up with way too much, too much of that, and it's become a much heavier dish. Hmm. Also, it just crumbles the whole thing up and make it denser. So. Well, on behalf of our listeners, I'm going to say that you have no idea what true lasagna should be. Oh, really? Yeah. I go to Cafe Lago and I have, oh, that's, that's I a pretty have good, lasagna. That's a pretty good lasagna, I think. the best one in I the think. city. So. Well, there's, there's a couple of good ones in the city that I like, but Cafe Lago's is one of them, for sure. It is definitely a beautiful yeah. lasagna. Is I it love. because their pasta is thinner? Yes. It's fresh. It's fresh, fresh pasta, and thinner. Yeah. Thin, not too many, and then the inside, the, the mixture is really nice and light and mm-hmm. fluffy and it's, it's delicious. Yeah. It's After the risk of offending all the lo- people that love you out there, I'm going to say that 
your lasagna that you just described is a pretty traditional lasagna with right. the ricotta and with the meat sauce, yeah. tomato sauce. Right. Uh, I think that there's uh, many out there of people that would make theirs. They would put a layer of cooked spinach in there sure. or some sort of green. Sure. Uh, and then I like a little pool of sauce on my traditional lasagna, a little pool of tomato sauce sure. when I serve it. And I love to kind of cut it and bake it separately in chunks so that it, the edges get a little crunchy. That's one of my favorite yeah, things. Yeah, no, about, I get that. Instead see of that. just in the big 9 by 13 casserole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that, but that's traditional lasagna. So for me, um, a non-traditional, how do you take lasagna and go from ordinary, which is what we both just described, right. to extraordinary? I think you've got to start, start down a new path. There's lots of things that you can use to layer instead of pasta. Right. There's lots of things you could use, like you could use spinach pasta. One of my favorite lasagnas ever was at the Pink Door, oh, where sure. they used they called it lasagna verde, and they used spinach <laughs> pasta, really light bechamel, uh, maybe right. two or three or four layers of pasta, uh, tomato sauce, and it was just a f- more. Of, it just tasted more fresh and, yeah. and delicious. And so you could do butter and the squash. So you could is- do butter and squash layers, but that's certainly not light. No. But you also don't serve as big a chunk. Correct. So when you do lasagnas like that, in my mind, you kind of layer them in a terrine. Correct. And then you slice them, and you serve maybe an inch thick slice on its side. And right. You can call it a terrine. You can call it a lasagna. You can, I just call it lasagna. Yeah, you can. We're you, talking lasagna, so yeah, we can call exactly, it lasagna. Exactly. But yeah, and then a good tomato sauce with that would be super delicious. Lovely. Yeah. Or nutmeggy Fresh. bechamel. Or little tarragon at the end. Yeah. Mm. But what would you layer in with the butternut squash? I, I, would, I would still you have to use... give it like a color that's going to be opposite. Right. I would definitely use uh, canned whole tomato. Uh-huh. I mean, that's... that's the I, sauce. You wouldn't layer that in, would you? I would do tomato and, and maybe some ground nuts, like the mahara from... Uh, from um, uh, Mamnoon, you know that product, and they Ooh, do. that would be great on the noodles. Yeah, it would be. You know, it would be. You layer that with the uh, tomato, uh-huh. and you do layers of that, and then you do butternut squash. You know, and you use that for layers instead of right. pasta, and that would be a good vegan lasagna on your hand. Yeah. Now, if you want to go more uh, Middle Eastern in nature, right? You can use eggplant as your layers. So, sure. what people often call uh, moussaka yeah. or. Moussaka, I'm Especially not sure. if you pre-grill them or pre-char uh, them how, beforehand. That's how you make it extraordinary, right? Exactly, instead of you just, char them a hand. Yeah, instead of just pan-frying them or something, you actually put them on the charcoal grill. And yeah. Next thing you know, you've got a completely different dish. Something mm. that Rachel Bell would even like. And then mushroom is the other thing. <laughs> mushroom, you know, slice sauteed mushroom into your lasagna would be delicious as well. Mm-hmm. Good mushroom, mm-hmm. some woodier mushroom, for example, that are nicely redone and slice them really thin so you'd have textural uh, meat Sliced mushroom and sauteed mushroom as well. A combination of those. That when, be- when Stuart, who's now uh, running uh, Spinasse, uh-huh. when he used to work at Cuoco, he made a beautiful uh, bolognese lasagna, oh. which is taking it the opposite direction. So right. it's taking what we consider kind of that heavy American-style lasagna, getting rid of everything but the bolognese and the bechamel, and mm-hmm. just layering eight layers of pasta and <laughs> bolognese. And so because it's so dense, you serve a smaller portion. Sure. But it comes out in a nice square. And again, you, you roast it in the oven so the edges are crispy. And you put it on a really fresh tomato sauce. So you're taking the heavy lasagna and making it even heavier. <laughs> right. it, is, it is luscious. It, it has so <laughs> many fans. Gonna, yeah, it has a lot oh, of fans. I thought you were going to say he's going to lay it on some Parmesan on top and bake that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> like, but it's funny. You know, you, you, what we considered heavy, we it just went... Heavy is probably the right word. Right. It's, it's an intensely rich 
lasagna. Right. Uh, and much more so than a traditional American style. I wonder if he makes it at Spinace. I don't know. We've, we've made it for years. Yeah, I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to get him in here. <laughs> so good. So good. Up next, it's Rachel Bell. You might have remember her from Cairo Radio. She has a podcast uh, called Your Last Meal. I was on it myself. Uh, and frankly, I haven't decided my meal long. hasn't changed, honestly. So there you go. Uh, that's up next here on Cairo. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. People, life is short, times are ticking. If you want to live like a king, got to think like a chicken. Oh, and chicken wakes up to a new world every day. Far as the chicken's concerned, everything's A-OK. And we're back in the kitchen. It's the Hot Stove Society Show. Coming to you from downtown Seattle, second floor of the Hotel Andra. Uh, we've invited Rachel Bell, for better or for worse, to join us for two segments. <laughs> hey. hey! Hey! It's always hey. good to see you. Thank you, you too. This is our post-Cairo breakup uh, interview with you. It is. Yeah, is this my exit interview? Uh, yeah. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> you were such a tremendous voice for Cairo. I'm sure they miss you. Do you Thank miss you. being on live radio? Yeah, I do miss being on live radio. I've done it for 20 years. Yeah. yeah which makes me an old woman. Uh, but yeah, now I'm doing my podcast, Your Last Meal Full Time. Uh-huh. As you know, I've been a, a food person for a very long time, mm-hmm. so it is very it fun. show. It's not like, uh, <laughs> I know. I'm a food person too, but uh, me too. <laughs> yeah. I got the weight to show it. Yeah, I got the jeans for eating a lot of pizza. Luckily, yeah. are they called stretchy jeans? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know. Actually, they kind of hurt right now. My jeans hurt. I ate a lot of pasta yeah. last night. And so uh, you're you're full time into a podcast. How do you get How did you get started on that road? Because I hear so often Tamara Wilson just was texting me about starting her own podcast. Mm. I hear so often about people wanting to do it. Yeah. And it seems like, uh, maybe because I'm just in food, uh, it's especially about food or baking or something. Mm-hmm. How'd you get started? What is it uh, that, that drew you to that genre? Well, number one, it's the law. If you don't have a podcast in America, they will make you leave. Okay. As you've noticed, <laughs> almost everyone has one. Yeah. Uh, so Your Last Meal started uh, with Cairo because they wanted to start a podcast division. And so they said to everyone in the company... And this is how many years ago? Six years ago, six years ago. or almost seven. Uh, they said, anyone who has an idea, make a pilot, and then we'll have this little team listen to all, all right, of them. and then Yeah, then we'll choose three, and then we'll... We'll try them out and see what happens. And so I had had my idea for my show for a long time, actually. So the show is called Your Last Meal. And just as a complete big dream fantasy, for years I had the idea of making it as a TV show uh, where you would interview celebrities about their last meals, but then you would go anywhere in the world to find the best version of it, or you would go to their mother's oh, kitchen, yeah, or go to a noodle yeah, factory yeah. in China and see it being made. So for all of you producers out there who are listening to this, this is an opportunity That's what I really would love to do, yeah. And so when they talked about doing a podcast, I thought, well, I can do that in podcast form. I'll just change it and make it a little bit smaller and only audio. Uh, So my idea was to appeal to multiple people. So the way the show works is I interview a celebrity about their last meal. And then after that, I brainstorm kind of different avenues. So either the culture, the science, or the history of that food. And then I bring other guests on to talk about it. So, But you had started into the podcast world. You, you kind of got a head start by being in live radio already because it's, it's essentially just like what we're doing right now. Yeah. It's just live radio, essentially, but 
you package it in a different way. You can edit it and you can do all sorts of things. Yeah. And you can go much longer. Of course, Uh in radio, you guys have a long form show, but for me as a feature reporter, the longest I could do was four minutes. And I'd come from being a breaking news reporter where I was doing 30 seconds. So expanding into a half an hour, 40 minutes was like, oh, I can actually tell the whole story. So what would you tell somebody who wanted to, you know, the easiest way to start? Because I always just send them to Tina Knoll, Uh who used to work at Cairo also, but she's got a bunch of different people in her stable, right? Of, of uh, talent. Uh, yeah. And so, and then she can guide them through the process. I think it depends on how much money you have. You know, Tina is somebody that you would hire to help you, but yes. then there's plenty of people. That's the thing. It's taken the gatekeeping down. It's very interesting. You know, we mm. were the only ones who could be on air for years. It's a very small population. Now anybody can get a microphone, plug it into their computer. It sounds great. You can learn to edit. There's free editing software. And there are people who've never been in media who are making millions of dollars whose shows have way more listeners than mine. So wow. I think you don't have have to have had the background it helped me that i already knew how to edit i already had contacts right. but i think like in any industry sometimes when people come in not knowing anything they do things differently when they weren't trained and sometimes that's and more successful better. than the yeah. old way yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 there's something to be said about new well, we've talked about that's part of the premise of our show is that yeah. he was classically trained i was the guy who came in not knowing anything yeah. and so we we bicker back and forth all the time about you know, technique from that perspective. Yeah, yeah. no, you're so right. Not yeah. everyone goes to culinary school. Some people uh-huh. learn in restaurants. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I would say, obviously, there's a ton online to tell you how to start it. You just have to make sure you have a microphone that sounds good, an editing program. And a good you know, story. And a good, well, of course, yeah. And that's the thing. You can go so niche. Like, know. you know, podcasts are about the teeniest, tiniest, nichiest thing. So I think if you're doing a food show, you know, find something maybe nobody else is doing. Uh-huh. Find something that people would be interested in, not just you. Uh, and the thing that I've always said to people, other reporters, even in radio, is remember that you're talking to an audience. This is not just for yourself, you right. know. Mm-hmm. Cut out the parts that aren't interesting. Talk to people who people actually want to hear from. Don't make it self-indulgent. Try to build well, an audience. And was something Tina tried to drill into my head every week. It didn't always work, but she always, yeah. Yeah. She always thought we were a little too chef-y oh. and that we weren't including the audience in our mix sometimes, yeah. which is one of the reasons I love having Pam on the show also is because she's a, she's a real home cook. Home cook, yeah. yeah and so uh, she can bring that side of the equation to kind of the chefy side. Right, right. It's nice to have that balance. Yeah, and that's a hard question too because, you know, Nathan, I'm looking at his books right here, Nathan Mirvold, who um, started Modernist Cuisine. Yeah. He has these three gigantic cookbooks that cost, what, like eight, nine hundred $900 yeah. for the set? And I interviewed him when it came out and he said, there's two ways to invent something. You can make a product that you know people already want and will use or you can make whatever you want and hope for the best and come up. And he said, everyone told me no one's going to spend this amount on cookbooks. Uh-huh. Everyone told me it's too chefy. It's too technical doing this modernist cuisine and it blew up and, and it everybody took off. was wrong blew they were up. but then you don't hear from the people who didn't make it so it's that's you right. know it's that's either right. way so you could be alienated some people by start- being too chefy and you could other people are loving it yeah, yeah. but he also started with a bazillion dollars that, i know <laughs> so he can, he can afford that risk it was no risk yeah. he, did you know he has a, a tyrannosaurus rex yes, in yeah, his yeah, foyer yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but i also know when he first got interested in food yeah and he was already a big Microsoft multimillionaire. Chef Terry is the one who let him work in his kitchen. Yeah. Before oh, really? he ever he staged with before you. Before ever did anything. How was yeah. he? And so he just well, he was very he was very meticulous. I mean, yeah, as an as an he come from the uh, you know science part of life. And Microsoft. Yeah, and then he's also a astrophysicist, I think. But his brain works differently than most cooks. 
you know, most cooks are much more on the moment, on the time. Yeah. He's much more thinking ahead and yeah. going, how am I going to do this? Anyway, so he took that little passion and, uh, you know, that's where it ended up. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 So I think, you know, a lot of people have jobs and they have families and they're like, should I start a podcast? Is it going to go anywhere? Just make the pilot. See if you like it. See if other people like it. And then you can go from there. And- yeah. So mm-hmm. the other thing about a podcast that I find is you don't have to be ebullient like yourself. You can bring your own personality to right. a podcast right. because... You're appealing to people that are interested in the same thing you are, right? Yes, That's why they've but, turned you on. Yeah. And so they don't necessarily expect a Rachel Bell. You don't have to be that out there, you know, dynamic but personality. To go you back, can be dull and boring. Like, like me. <laughs> yeah. To go back to the, uh, the Nathan Mervold story, I think the, the, the line that meets with everyone else is that he has a passion for food. Yes. He loves to eat. And, and I mean, he went out of his way many times when he was traveling to go 200 miles somewhere else just to go find this little restaurant yeah. to go eat. So that's Again, the line. That's where it crosses. That's what my dad used to do to save a penny on gas. He'd drive 200 miles out of his Same. <laughs> to, go, to go fill up his tank. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, you know, all kinds of technical things that are important for having a successful podcast. Like you're supposed to pick a day for it to come out and stay consistent. You know, you shouldn't be missing weeks. Uh, right. Things like that. You know, those kind of things are important. What about focus in a podcast? You were telling us uh, before you got on the air about this pasta guy mm. that you follow, or you listen to, and he's blowing up, and yeah. now he's got his own line of pasta the in grocery store. What's it called? The Sporkful is the name of the pasta line and the podcast. I'm sure a lot okay. of people listening have been fans of Dan Pashman for a long time. He beat me at the James Beard Awards, so he's my nemesis. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. He was, he's the one who beat me. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, and you yeah, go down rabbit holes on your show. I go down big rabbit holes. That's yeah. my favorite thing. This week, I'm really excited for my episode that's coming out next. I'll give a little sneak preview. In the same episode, we're talking about the history of cereal mascots. The story behind Captain Crunch and Tony the Tiger. Uh-huh. And then I'm also speaking to archaeologists who have dug up what they have determined to be the world's oldest cooked meals from 70,000 years ago. Uh-huh. So we go all wow. over the place. Did you see that one recently they found in, uh, I think, the Iraqi desert? That's the, who I'm that's talking, she's oh, talking about. Really? Yeah, 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 where they found yeah. that they eat pulses and grains, uh-huh. which is just now, a little... How does this relate to your last meal? Uh, this relates because my guest who's coming up, I mean, right. I'm going to give the... His Tutankhamun. name's... Tutankhamun. Tucker Shaw. <laughs> he is a writer, and he wrote this book in 2004 that I was very into called Everything I Ate. This is before social media. He took a picture of everything he ate for a year. They made a book. The pictures are blurry and terrible and dark. And he said that part of the reason he wrote it was he imagined in 10,000 years some archaeologists dusting it out of the ruins in New York City and going, I found it. This is what an American man ate in 2004. And so I thought, well, let's get some archaeologists who are doing that right now from 10,000 years ago and beyond. So Uh I go all over the place on your last meal. All right, when we come back, we're going to get into some of your favorite last meals. And also... How come people have so many refrigerators in their home? Mm-hmm. Especially people like me, who only have two people that live there. Well, there are some facts behind that. You All fit right. right into Americana. I want to know. Yes, when we come does. back on Cairo Radio, 97.3 FM. Yeah. Here we are back in the kitchen at the hot stove with Rachel Bell. 
Hi. Hello. I can only say formerly of Cairo because uh, that's how I know you so, yeah. so well. But uh, currently of your continuous podcast, Your Last Meal. That's right. Doing that's it full time right. now. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, we found Rachel Bell. RachelBell.com. Well, how do we find you? Um, well, you can go to just Google around your last meal or find it on every podcast app, or you can go to HelloRachelBell.com. Here you go. But Cairo's not hosting it anymore. Cairo's not hosting oh, anymore. Okay. It's my own independent. Right. Yes, because they're hosting us. They are hosting you, yes. and, and they hosted gonna... me for the podcast yeah. for six years, and I worked there for. 13, 15. I worked there for a very You've long time. You've been there time. as long as I've been there. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I remember and, coming uh, they've in. They've been fabulous people to work with for us. They've Same. Just let us do our thing. And, uh, uh, yeah, you don't even have to go Sometimes I wonder if, I even, yeah, if they even know that we're on their show. <laughs> <on their air. laughs> but, uh, you know, they've, they've been good partners for us. You want to talk about a couple of things here. One is, tell me your, your favorite Without, I mean, you don't have to name me, but your favorite <laughs> episode. So when people do find you, they can look up all your different ones, right? Sure. So there's about 150 episodes, I think, at this point of your last wow. meal. And for those who are just listening now and haven't heard of the show, I interview celebrities about their last meals, and then I bring other guests on to talk about science, history, or culture of that right. dish. And you know, my last meal is written in my will. I know. you. Yeah, t- yeah. So Tom was episode one, uh-huh. and then I had you back for my, uh, I can't remember if it was, no, my five-year five year anniversary, yeah. and you came to my house and got mad because I didn't bring you any food, and you, I, you were right. That was, <laughs> it was rude. <laughs> so rude. You didn't bring any food? I didn't give him anything. You invite people to your house, you and talking. you don't have even like a cracker for him to eat. Really? Not look at cracker. me. Do I look like I can, I can go very far without a meal? That's up for debate. <laughs> uh, I think, well, the most popular, the most listened to episode is with William Shatner. He's insane in the best way. He said things his PR person is probably clutching her pearls about. He was telling me that he wanted to develop a TV show called MILF. Moms I'd like to feed. Uh-huh. And then talked about his <laughs> pit bull going into heat. I mean, he's crazy. So that's a very fun one. Uh-huh. Uh, Isaac Mizrahi, the fashion designer, that was also very fun. The best interviews... It's not as much what they're saying. It's how they interact with me. If mm-hmm. they're being conversationalists and they're not just answering the question, those are the most fun when you can tell they're invested and they're excited yeah, about they it. they really engage. Exactly. Yeah, Recently, the the, two of my favorites are Jack Johnson, uh, the surfer and singer, because his last meal revolves around his relationship with his wife and like a trip that they took when they were just dating. And then Jewel. Uh, the singer Jewel, mm-hmm. because she grew up in Alaska homesteading, and they only ate what they could catch, oh, wow. kill, and grow. And she has a lot of crazy stories, oh, I bet. including a, kind of like Raccoon about Man that we had on our our show <gasps> early on. Remember the Urban Forager? Yeah, who oh. killed raccoons and stuff in his bathtub at home. And I never heard that one. <laughs> Squirrels and raccoons. Yeah, exactly. Roadkill. Yeah. yeah. But no, no, no. It, bathroom kill. Oh, ba- yeah, they, bathroom. Yeah, he literally kill. trapped him and killed him at his own home. And he called his Self raccoon man? He was the urban forager. Yeah. I think okay. forager. Remember him, Terry? You yeah. called him raccoon yeah. man. <laughs> okay, let's go on to another subject, which is uh, Pamela is very interested in. The amount of refrigerators people have in their homes. Yes. So this came up. This is my last episode that's out now uh, with writer Sloane Crosley. She did a very New York thing during her interview. She was recording in her kitchen, and she said, I can open my freezer from this chair. You want to see what's in my freezer? And she opened it up, and it was full of sweaters. Nothing <laughs> but sweaters, which is so New York. My of grandma used sweaters? to use her ovens. Yeah. So the moths Some, didn't get them? Exactly. 
Exactly. Oh. And some people in New York who don't care about cooking and like fashion better, they use their ovens for storage. <laughs> so I remembered this article I read in the New York Times in 2021. Wow, I'm, I'm, no, I'm stumped. I have never heard that. And it's also the irony that you put on a sweater to be warm and yeah, you have exactly. this frozen sweater. <laughs> that, I mean, it's like the, the purpose of that. I'm like, what? Well, I'll tell you. You have to microwave it My first. wife, I would say every... Tenth time she goes to her closet for a sweater, there's a moth hole in it. Tell, oh. Clear out the ice and cream. And we have all the cedar little chips all around our, our yeah. Yeah, you got to put it in the freezer. You can get another refrigerator yeah. for her for the bedroom. So, article in the New York Times 2021, 35 million Americans have two refrigerators. Uh-huh. And the majority of them are two-person households. And it's yeah. just so American because, you know, think of people in Europe or South America or Asia who go gro- shopping every day or yeah. every other day. I think they would be appalled at this. And then six million Americans have three or more fridges and freezers. Huh. So how many do you have? Uh, I have three. Woo! Uh, two 48 inches. My original Sub-Zero from the home is in my garage now. Uh-huh. And now I have a, a Liebherr 48 inch with a wine cellar in it. And then I have the refrigerator downstairs. But my mother, who was a single woman at 92, had two refrigerators and a chest freezer yeah. in her home. 92 years old. On her deathbed, uh. she went through the list of what she knew was still in her chest <gasps> freezer literally an hour before she died. What? Telling my sister... Now you got to use up the turkey that's down there, and there's some chicken thighs. Are you and kidding? I made cookies at Christmas. And that you are said down she there. said like return the. This cold. is an hour before she died. And this she is said, an amazing story. You should write an essay this. about this. People love and their freezers. My favorite wow. is she said to her daughter. Uh, return the, the, the coal. We don't need them. Yeah, the, the broad bro- panties I bought last week on the two-for-one sale. <laughs> Please take those back. I haven't taken the tags off. Oh, my God. That is amazing. Yeah. So she actually was really using them and eating out of them because I think yeah. some people, things have been in there since 1942. Do you really cycle she, through yours? She did. And I won the lottery with my sisters when, we, when she did die and we went through the freezer. I had already put milk crates in the bottom because she couldn't reach to the bottom. Uh-huh. So some things were down there with a very vintage. Yeah. Uh, but uh, <laughs> we had a lottery or a, a, a bet for $100. What's the oldest date on food that's going to be in mom's chest freezer when we empty it out? And I won. It was, was a it? 1996 bag of pine nuts. <laughs> <laughs> When did your mom pass away? In August. Oh, just this August? Yeah. <gasps> yeah. So that's 26 years? Yeah. The wow. archaeologists want to have and that a look yeah. at those. We cleaned out all the 1960s like petrified steaks and things like that that were on the very bottom. We did that about 10 years ago. Did she have really old spices, I'm sure, oh, too? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's incredible. Did you make a vintage pesto? We did not. <laughs> I did collect my did a vintage, vintage can. Yeah. Do you think that you have so many fridges and freezers because you grew up that way and you're used to it? Or is it because you're a chef and you have a lot of food around? I think there's that. Plus, uh, unlike some people used to have canning cellars. Uh-huh. I'm a more of a, a freezing a freezing person yeah. for when I'm preserving. So, like in my freezer right now, I just pulled out. I'm having the boys for dinner tonight. I pulled out the last of the Prosser peas. I'm making succotash out of the last of the Prosser peppers. Last of the Prosser corn. Do turkey you, gravy from Thanksgiving. You're the gravy god. I'm the gravy god. I so, hear. Yeah. I listen to the show every week. Yeah. Do you I have, have a, anything lurking? I don't. No. No. I, don't I, have really. an, I have a freezer in my garage, an uh-huh. extra freezer, because we recently, uh, about six months ago, a freezer or oh, refrigerator upstairs died. So I was looking for a refrigerator that would fit under the shelf that it's at, and I couldn't find the size. So I bought a smaller refrigerator thinking, there's only two of us now. Kids are not home anymore. 
giant mistake. I need another refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> You're not so you French know, anymore. <laughs> I, go, I mean, I go to Met Market, I come back, the freeze, freezer is like, I, the fridge is just too small. You know, I went up to your house for your show. I wish you had an extra refrigerator because then maybe there would have been something to eat. I know. <laughs> They're just empty. I think it is. I mean, I live on my own right now, and mine is packed to the point where when I open the freezer, it's like in an 80s sitcom. All the basketballs are falling out. Like, I have the Copper River salmon falling on my foot. My weird Chinese ice roller thing broke in half last week. Like, I think I need another refrigerator. Copper River salmon is getting close to a year old right now. Just yep. letting you know you should eat that. They just mailed it to me. <laughs> how, how many sweaters do you They're have? They're one of the sponsors on my show. Got to say hi to them. What's that? How many sweaters do you have in your freezer? Ooh, I can't fit any sweaters. Maybe like one leg warmer. That would, that would be the last thing I would put in my freezer. There's too many of the more right. important things to put in there. Sign up. Listen to your show. Just sign up at any place you can buy a podcast. Uh, they are it- free. They are free. So you can listen to just like yours. You can listen to Your Less Meal and Hot Stove Society on any podcast app. So if someone's listening right now on the podcast, just pop on over and subscribe. And I have a free newsletter, which is how you can find out about events and contests. Uh, RachelBell.substack.com. And on Instagram, hello, Rachel Bell. Thanks hey. for coming on the show. Thank, Thank you so guys. much, Rachel. Nice I love to see you guys. We're going to welcome uh, Muna Maresi. Uh, when we come back on Cairo Radio, we'll talk about food from Yemen here on the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Woo! I like to put cream cheese on my bagel, and then I like to eat it. There's nothing better than a toasted bagel covered in cream cheese, because it tastes so good. Let me teach you how to eat. Let me teach you how to eat. How to marinate the meat. Let me teach you how to <laughs> Jesus. The Welcome to the Hot Stove Society Show. What a weak uh, response that is. I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotero, the chef in the hat. Tom, I'm very excited. because You're very gonna, lively today, chef. I'm, I'm very excited, yes. Uh, most importantly, we're going to talk about something that I have very, very little knowledge about. Uh-huh. Besides kind of where it's on the map of the world. Uh-huh. I'm not very familiar with Yemen food. We're going to talk about that? I'm very excited about that. Okay, good. And we're also going to uh, talk a little bit about uh, with uh, Maggie Zhu, who uh, we had so many things to talk to her about when she was here a few weeks ago. Sure. And her book, Chinese Homestyle. Uh, we're going to talk noodles with her. Yeah. Uh, and kind of reprise that segment here on the show today. And, uh, of course, at the end of our t- second hour, which we're into now, it's time for Food for Thought Tasty Trivia. And as you know, I tend to dominate this yes. segment you did five out of five last week. Yes. Let's see how you do this week. It's the first time I've had five out of five since Pam took over the producing the show. <laughs> I'll just say that. She is mean. She's a mean one. She, she sets us up, all right. Pam Hinckley. Just so that Annie knows back there in the kitchen that we have a radio show going on today, uh, I just thought I would remind her. Uh, we are welcoming uh, one of our future class presenters. Here at the hot stove, March 15th, is that right? March 15th. March 15th. Muna Maresi is here. She is uh, going to share her thoughts on the foods of Yemen, uh, Yemen itself, what's going on over there. All I hear about on this side of things, you know, when you read the news, is the civil war that's going on or the war with Saudi Arabia or whoever is attacking who. I know that's flippant. I don't mean it to be, but it is. It's, it's difficult to separate out Yemen for, for me. And I know, Terry, you said somewhat the same yeah. things like, we know of it, but we don't really know of it. 
So we're going to learn about the food side of it because that's the world we live in here at the Hot Stove Society show. So um, welcome to the show. Welcome. And uh, let's start there. Let's start with Yemen itself. Am I even saying it correctly? Yes, you are. Yemen. Yes, I am. Thank you. It's a uh-huh. pleasure to be here um, at Hot Stove with you, Tom and Terry and Pam. Mm-hmm. Thank you for welcoming me into your kitchen. I'm from Yemen. Uh, I was uh, born in Yemen and I came over to the States uh, when I was about four years old. Uh, my father um, immigrated in the 60s mm-hmm. uh, from Yemen to escape some turmoil. Um, fortunately, Yemen has been um, through quite a bit. Um, right now, they're um, in a proxy war. Um, I just think it's important to talk a little bit about, I won't go too deep into it, but just to get an understanding of what's going on there and why Yemen is so important to the world, besides the cuisine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yemen, my beloved country, uh, like I said, is in a proxy war. We had a president that ruled uh, Yemen for 32 years. He was outcasted and killed, unfortunately. Um, and we have a group of very extreme Islamic uh, Muslims that um, occupy and took over the capital, the government of Sana'a, which is in North Yemen. Um, they tried to take South Yemen. Um, they were unsuccessful, and that's um, by a lot. Of, that's ruled by liberated people, and that's what we want. We just want peace. Uh, Yemen is very rich in culture, back dated to ancient times. Ancient, ancient. Yeah. 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 It was part of the spice uh, route, the silk spice route, um, you know, leading through the Horn of Africa and to the Eastern and Western world. Uh, Yemen has some wonderful um, coffee. It was voted uh, 98 on the specter. Coffee? Yes, coffee. Coffee was cultivated, grown in Yemen, and the first brew was in Yemen from an Islamic uh, monk in Yemen. And then we have a port in Yemen. There's many, many uh, important ports because Yemen lies, its location lies right beneath Saudi Arabia on the Arabian Peninsula. Right. And the location of Yemen is very unique because it's a coastal country and the, they have about nine ports. Two or three of them are very important to the world. That's uh, the port of Aden. Is it in South Yemen? Mm-hmm. Um, that's where a lot of few, uh, ships come and few, refuel and natural resources. It's also the access point to the Red Sea. There. Absolutely, oh, yeah. yes. And then there's also a very um, another important that which is not talked about a lot. It's called Bab el Mandeb. It's a very important port um, on the Red Sea. That's where the whole fi- uh, the world is fighting about. And when I mean the world, I'm talking about Iran, Saudi, trying to. I think everybody's just mandling in and trying to take over and occupy Yemen because. Because they want control of those ports on the oh, Yemen coast, on the Red Sea. Strategic, yeah. You know, unfortunately, and Yemen is suffering right now. Mm-hmm. It's terrible. You know, you think about all the women and children of what's happening in that world. But, you know, we keep positive And we keep going. And what brings us, you know, to keep us happy is our cuisine. It's delicious. I think anyone that has ever ever tasted Yemeni food, you're just going to fall in love with it, and you're going to want more. It's very filling. The appetite, you know, you'll get from it is very filling, uh-huh. and you'll be satisfied, and you have a good, and you're going to leave with a good memory. Well, half of the coast of uh, Yemen is on the sea, so there must be a lot of uh, influence there from. From the sea. Oh, yes. There, the, the, we have so much beautiful seafood, fishes. Uh, there's a town in um, 
It's called Al Hodeida. It's a beautiful sea t- uh, sea town. My dad, that lives in Michigan, um, hoped that he, when he retired, that he was going to move back there. Unfortunately, uh-huh. he's not. That's a beautiful. We have amazing all sorts of fishes: uh-huh. lobster, prawns, exotic. You know. Really wonderful tasting fish. One of the dishes that I'm going to make uh, will be, it's called sayadiya, uh-huh. uh, will be on the menu. So now Saudi Arabia, which is just to your north, Oman to your uh, east, United Arab Emirates, everything's, you know, there's a lot of wealth in that area. I mean, tons of wealth, especially in Saudi Arabia. Absolutely. Why, but Yemen is often considered like a poor country. Right. So why is that? Yemen was on the map, and now it's kind of want to be wiped off until someone actually takes a hold of it and because People it doesn't have absorb it into yes that. Yeah. because it doesn't have a solid government uh-huh. since the president we had one everybody's president. taking the opportunity to yes and there is of the chaos yeah yeah and everybody's terrified you know to step in and really do that and i think some of the strongest you know countries you know like i mentioned the few that want to occupy it for example like there's some beautiful islands of sakatra that's uninhabited it's on the unesco um herit- mm-hmm. world heritage and even yemen has you know some amazing you know this the architectural the structures it has a lot of beautiful things honey Honey is like some of the best in the world there mm-hmm. from Hadramaut, a beautiful city that comes from the cedar trees. Um, it has a lot of wealth. Like I said, it's unfortunate. It just needs a government, you know, that the people, you know, is going to believe in and move forward and get assistance. You know, Yemen has lost a lot. The reason why it's poor is because the export, the goods that come from Yemen and also the imports, their sanctions along the ports. Oh. The ships, uh, the people that bring in the um, imports, they have to pay a very, very high insurance. Um, and they're also afraid to come to the, to the country due to everything that's happening. Right, right. You know. they, need oh, stru- they, they need to have some structure built back. Yeah. Absolutely. So right. one thing on top of the other, and next thing you know, you're in the muck. Uh, when we come back, let's jump into what you're going to be teaching at your class and some of the classic foods of Yemen. Muna Maresi is here, and we're going to talk more Yemeni food. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. That's what Bean said to Conrad. I'll be ready to modernize. Bean stole Conrad, you ain't straight. You better wake up or I'll gas you gate. Been in this pot since half past two. Swelling and... Welcome back. We're talking with uh, Muna Maresi, who is a uh, one of the going to be one of the presenters here of uh, at the Hot Stove Society, and also from Yemen and the foods of Yemen are on the docket. So uh, I know nothing. I'm a blank slate, but I'm also like a sponge. I want to know. I just don't happen to know. Chef, you feel the same way. If exactly I'm, the yeah. same way. So take us through what you're going to teach in the class and what's what Yemen is most known for and that sort of thing. Absolutely. I'm so excited. I can't wait till March 15th. I hope uh, everyone out there, you know, is going to grab a ticket while there's still a few left. 
Um, the class is going to be a couple hours from 5.30 to 7.30. I'm going to um, introduce uh, four items on the menu. We're going to start off by having um, the guests will be welcomed with um, a dish called the salata, which is a salad. It's a little gem lettuce with Persian cucumbers, tomato, and a ginger vinaigrette. And then we're going to have... Um, funny. People always associate ginger with Asia, I think. And I mean, obviously, you're not that yeah. far from Asia on the other side no. of the world. So Yemen's, inf- yeah, Yemen's influence did come around. Front. From a lot of the influence of the cuisine came from India and Asia, uh-huh. just because of the location and the trades between right. the two right. and the countries. Absolutely. Uh, our second dish on the menu, it's a starter. It's one of my favorite dishes. It's a breakfast, and it could be considered a dinner. It's called fasulia. It's um, Fresh fava beans, and it has onions and garlic, and a very special Yemeni spice we call hawaij. Hawaij is a blend of cumin, coriander, black pepper, cardamom, and cloves. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's oh, absolutely delicious. It's like the, like the raselanut of Morocco. Yes. Same idea. It's a, it's a house spice. And then depending on the dish you make, you know, you can always add turmeric, because we do add turmeric um, into some recipes, some of the stews. Because uh-huh. Yemen is known for a lot of stews, you know, the meats, the lamb, the goat, um, the seafood. We use a lot of um, uh, cooking in um, a tandoor. Uh-huh. A tandoor is um, it's a hole in the ground, and they put um, wood in there, and it, they burn it. And then when they put the meat, uh, it suspends and doesn't t- touch the charcoal. And it's cooked for hours, and it's absolutely Suspended delicious. Suspended by what? When they drop it in, it's like uh, they drop it in wrapped in foil. Oh, okay. And it's very delicious. Just and they by cover t- it too, or no? Yes, absolutely. They yeah. do cover it. Yeah. Cool. I might uh, have some pictures um, at the cooking show, you know, if everything oh, works out. that'd be fun if you could bring some Yeah, yeah to pictures. show, you know, some of those unique um, traditions of cooking. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember when I went to Yemen, I just uh, have to say this quickly, when I went there, I was in the countryside, and we are, the kitchens are built outside of the home. because of well, it's the, hot. Yes. And, you know, you have to have a separate kitchen. It's, uh-huh. uh, you know, it's almost a li- like a mini little house. Is it a religious rule, or is it just because it's hot? It's hot. Okay. Yeah, it's hot. <laughs> and, and the countryside is a little bit cooler, depending where you are in the country. Uh-huh. But, of, yes, it is hot and sometimes humid. So when I, was in the, I walked into this kitchen, and they have these beautiful tenures. And these women are making this amazing bread, you know, by hand. And they do everything by the hand. I'm telling you, it's like probably a thousand degrees or more. And they stick the bread with their hand into the tenure. Mm-hmm. And I tried to do that. And it's like, oh, my goodness. They go, no, 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 no. You're a princess. Go back to America. You're a princess. <laughs> like, you know, you were raised here. I go, well, you know, I want, it. I want the experience. You still have hair on your arm. <laughs> yeah, their skin is probably very... Yes, but it's amazing, you know, and over the years of cooking, I got to tell you, you know, uh, I got used to hot, very Uh hot, very fast. Uh I'm sure you know as a chef, you know, you're always in the oven, right? So our second dish I was talking about, the fasolia. Can I stop you there for one second? How do you recreate that in your own kitchen? Because unless you have a tenor, it's uh, it's hard to... you, you almost have to just go on a cast iron pan or something that's burning hot so that you can kind of recreate that sear that you get on the side of the oven. Yes. Um, it's, so they have some, um, they have these electric, I don't know what they, are, they call them exactly, but you'll see them in some Middle East restaurants. Or we use actually, you know, the huge Italian ovens. 
right? Mm-hmm. Where they cook pizza and yeah. kind of very similar to this. Uh-huh. They also have those in Yemen that cooks the bread and the oh, fish. Okay. For me at home, like when I'm doing home cooking, yes, you would have to use like heavy bottom um, skillet. Mm-hmm. To, to get that nice sear, right. a cast iron, have to have a nice oven, you know, that rotates the air very well. Right. You know, the temperature, you know, I do cook on very high temperature, but you got to be really quick and experienced. You know, you don't want to burn it. It takes time and, you know, experience Practice. and over time. The more you do it, the better you get at it. But the dishes... Like that, anything, yeah. Absolutely. You know, the dish, I'm trying to simplify and make it simple, not complicated, you know. That's why the cooking class is going to show that. Yeah. You can right. still have those as long as you have the hawaiij, the spice. That's the most important thing. Right. Another really important thing that I love um, is we have dry chilies. We're going to soak those and we're going to blend them into a red sauce. And I remove the peppers because we don't want it to be too spicy because we have the hawaiij already. And we do add like a little touch of jalapeno or serrano pepper, depending on the heat you like. Right. Yeah. All right, what's next on the docket? Uh, the next one is called sayadia. Sayadia fish is soup. a beautiful fish dish, and it's going to be served with uh, basma- saffron basmati rice. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's a white fish. I always use white fish because we have a lot of white fish in Yemen. It's very important. I don't think it works with red fish. It's you know really up to you, but I prefer to use white fish. So and to just quickly to. The difference between white fish and red fish is basically oily. One is oily and the other one is not, right? Is what you're referring to? Yes, absolutely right about that, Terry. Uh, The sayadia is going to be cooked with, you know, onions and garlic and that amazing red pepper sauce that we're going to make. And we're going to add the hawaj, the Yemeni spices to it. And we're going to have saffron basmati rice, which is so delicious with with caramelized onions and that's a dish that reminds me so much of my mother, how much she loves my father, because he loves Hodeida, the town, the, the fishing town in Yemen. And every time she makes this dish, she goes, oh, I can't wait to go back to Yemen. Yeah, it's like, I'm making it here for you, you know? <laughs> he goes, oh, no, it's beautiful. It's delicious. It's Where is exactly, the beach? <laughs> yes. I think it's the view and, you oh, know, that exactly. beautiful weather. Where is the, the view? Heat. Absolutely. Did I read that... Um, the people who attend the class are going to make the spice blend to take with them? Yes. Um, all the guests, they're going to have an opportunity to be hands-on to make uh, this beautiful condiment called zahawak. It's made from cilantro, tomato, serrano peppers, um, and we put a touch of cumin in there that's been toasted and absolutely dishes with delicious. And that's going to be hands-on. They're also going to build the uh, Hawaii spice. Oh wow, that's mm. wonderful! Lovely. Yes. All right, all this when we uh, when when Muna t- teaches her class here on March fifteenth, five thirty to seven thirty. I think they're usually about a hundred bucks, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Yeah. So don't quote me on that. And if you go to hotstovesociety.com, you can see our entire class schedule. We have about I would say we're fifty fifty between public classes and private events here at the Hot Stove. Muna, thank you so much. Thank you. I know you're going to make dessert, too. Thank you. Oh, that'll there be is. a surprise for folks. Yes, it's going to be absolutely a beautiful surprise with the citrus season. Mm. Wow. Mm. So please uh, join us. My thank mouth you. is watering because I can see what the description is. <laughs> Coming up next, we're going to go back in time to Maggie Zhu and talk about Chinese homestyle noodles on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show 97.3 FM. Pepper, hot, hot, hot pepper. I'm hot like the fire, hot like the sun. When we talking about heat, maybe number one. Noodles and butter, noodles.
buns and butter. You are my favorite treat. Noodles and butter. There is no other. Nothing else that I want to eat. And we're back in the Hot Stove Society kitchen. I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. Uh, chef, we had an author on a few weeks ago, uh, Maggie Zhu, yep. uh, who has a new book out, Chinese Home Style. And we got so involved in the vegetable dim sum, and we got involved in making homemade uh, Chinese sauces that we're used to just buying at the grocery store uh, and learning how to explode the flavor in those sauces with, with different aromatics, uh, that we invited her back to uh, tell us, because I never got to noodles. Yeah, uh, Maggie, thanks for rejoining us. We appreciate your time, and hopefully the book is selling like uh, green onion pancakes. Green. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So uh, you, your book, uh, we talked about, all, it's a vegetable-forward, everyday plant-based recipes for takeout, dim sum, and noodles and more. But uh, let's talk noodles on this segment, if we could, and mm-hmm. what makes a successful noodle dish. And I'll just start with the things that I, I, I struggle with most when I go to Chinese restaurants is that my noodles never get a hot enough sear in the wok. And just tell me right off the bat, am I, are my expectations wrong or are they not doing it correctly? Oh, you need to explain what do you mean by it's not hot enough to... Well, I, I, like sometimes, yeah. um, you know, like when, you, when it says you want wok seared noodles, right? Or wok fried mm-hmm, noodles yeah. or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, want, I want a serious burnish on the, the noodles. I want it in a super hot wok and I want them to have like little, maybe little golden edges Char. or something like that. I'm not looking yeah. for chow mein noodles, but I'm looking yeah. for something that has been in a very hot wok and has some of the, the breath of the wok in the noodles. And, and I just feel like they're always in such a hurry that they never wait and get the, get the actual flavor from the wok. No, that's, you, you need better restaurants. Okay, so it's, it's, not a, it's not an expectation that I, it's a wrong expectation. It should be, it should be kind of smoky. I think, it's, okay. you know, if you're telling me this is something you make at home and you couldn't get it, I understand because right. you need a really, really hot right. wok, which is really hard to do with the home. Like even gas stove is hard. But the restaurant, you should, you should like noodles should be like chow mein should be smoky. Okay, good. Yeah. I was curious. You about were that. right. Well, sometimes I just want to send it back and say cook it more, and then they look at me like, dude, what do you know about Chinese cooking? Yeah. You know, it's like, uh, what are your favorite noodles to make? Uh, and do you make them homemade noodles and then make them into a, a dish? Or do you all do you have favorite uh, noodles that you can purchase? You can purchase them. Yeah, these days, if you have an Asian market nearby, uh, I, I, I love to use. There's a brand called Pavista. Uh, they sell, uh, you know, fresh noodles. They're semi-fresh. You know, it's like kind of like dried, but it's refrigerated. Right. So it's not like completely dry that, you know, you buy in those packages on the shelf. It's right. in the, in the fridge, fridge or freeze, sometimes freezer section. And those noodles are like, you know, fatter because they don't really dry them completely. Right. Um, and they have, it comes in all kinds of shapes. Like they're the thin, the, the thick, you know, they're the shape of like the udon. And they're those like hand shaped, like amazing wide noodles mm-hmm. that are like, like very chewy and the texture are amazing. So, yeah, if you can have, you know, if you can make a trip to Asian market, I feel like those are really, really nice noodles. You don't really have to make them at home. I do include a homemade noodle recipe in my book, but it, it takes some time. And um, 
most people don't have that. In, in our market, we have a noodle company here in town called Chuchong Noodle Company, and I've been buying mm. there for years and years and years. And in the marketplace, in the grocery store, you can find their steamed noodles in a bag in the refrigerated section, steamed wheat noodles. Uh, and I find that you don't even need to rehydrate them in water at all. You just put them in the wok and the noodles kind of soften and pick up the, the sauces that you put into the wok with them. So those are the best because I feel like, you know, the problem with the dried noodles are when you boil, after you boil them, they become a little bit soggy. It's hard right. to make them like old Dante. And right. then what you put in the fry, frying pan, it just, it doesn't get the correct chewy texture. Right. So those like steamed ones are amazing. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's a better product for the simple reason that she just said. Mm-hmm. The water is already mm-hmm. out. Doesn't you, stick to the water. Have, yeah, it doesn't stick. And it doesn't cool down as much because... That liquid is not in there, coming out of the noodles. So, yeah, no, yeah. I, I agree. I think it's a much better product. Agreed on that, for sure. What the odd part of that is on the packaging, it says to dunk them in water and then use them, but you, you really don't have to. No. Okay, uh, on the cover, let's talk uh, Dan Dan noodles. It's a very mm-hmm. popular dish. It's become uh, more and more popular every day in America. Uh, how do you make the perfect Dan Dan noodles? So the, the key component, one of the key components is the sauce, uh, which is actually surprisingly easy to make because the base is uh, by using Chinese sesame paste. Mm-hmm. So it's really similar to tahini because it's made from uh, sesame. But in the Chinese, for the Chinese version, it's made with toasted sesame. Mm-hmm. So it has this dark brown color. It's, uh, it, the taste is actually very quite different from tahini. It's like nutty and has this like rich uh, rich flavor, kind of like uh, peanut butter. So I, I usually advise my readers, like, you know, you, either you get the Chinese one or you use peanut butter. Okay. So, you know, the unsweetened, sure. uh, smooth one. So oh, that's never, the base of the noodle. Thought, and then you... Hmm? I never thought of that. That's a great idea, using the peanut butter as a substitute. Yeah, it's Thank actually you. really, like, we use it all the time. It's, it, uh, it's because it's easier to find and the flavor is very, very close. Right. Yeah, and then you use, uh, you know, a touch of uh, light soy sauce, chinkan uh, vinegar. It's, it's also called black vinegar. It's like fermented, a little bit like balsamic vinegar, right. but it's less sweet. And it has like a very rich fermented flavor. So you have the soy sauce and the vinegar, and you have aromatics like uh, garlic and scallion with a touch of sugar to balance out the flavor. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the other important key component is the chili oil. Right. Uh, that I have uh, this homemade version, which is really take take like five minutes to make. But if you have like you know like nice chi- ground chili pepper, um, it's very very easy to make at home. Like you use like a good quality chili oil, and there's another ingredient called Sichuan peppercorn. Uh, it's a uh, it, it, it those small peppers are like you know, have a red uh, red color, and it actually has a very citrusy taste. And when you eat eat this peppercorn, it creates this numbing, zesty mm-hmm. sensation in your mouth. Yeah, and it's so not that hot is at another all. one. It's just no, peppercorn, not, but it's not yeah, spicy at all. No, so. no spicy. And so that's the basis of the dan dan. So you put the noodles into your wok, and then you put in the sauce and just stir fry them together. Oh no, the noodles are actually boiled. Okay. So the noodles are boiled, and you mix it with the sauce. I I do made a topping from. Uh, mushroom and nuts so originally this dish is made with a little bit like ground pork topping it's, it's pretty much just like to add texture and flavor but here to make you know to 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 mimic that that texture i used some mushrooms and chopped up like nuts mm-hmm. and and seasoned with um 
so there's another thing called um, suimi ya cai. It's a fermented pickle. So you use those pickle in the in the topping and to to create that rich mm. rich taste. Mm-hmm. And those are always a bit salty too. Those pickles. Yes, right? yes, a little bit salty. Yeah. She is so fun. I, I love her book. I really yeah, want to get it. Uh, you know what I want though? I just want the noodles on the cover of the book. That is so <laughs> up my alley. So up my alley. It does alley. The, look like the a beautiful flavor. bowl of yeah. noodles. Yeah, it yeah. Looks a, you know, just these. Uh, Chinese chili crisp kind of noodles on the on the cover of the book. Yum. Okay, now it's time for Food for Thought Tasty Trivia, brought to you by Rub With Love Spice Rubs. When we come back on Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling, toss salads and scrambled eggs. And maybe I see... All right, it's Chefs in the Chapeau. It's yes. Tom Douglas and Chef Annie Elmore, director here at the Hot Stove. And it's time for Food for Thought Tasty Trivia, brought to you by Rub with Love Spice Rubs, a collection of spice blends, terrific finishing sauces, and a piquant toasted shallot mustard. If you want to find all the deliciousness we make at Rub with Love... Please stop by our locations at Sirius Pine Ballard, uh, the Sirius, the Seatown Rub Shack and Fish Fry in the Pike Place Market, and the Hot Stove Society, where we're coming to you from today. Uh, of course, you can find us at online at uh, TomDouglas.com. Pamela, why don't you tell us how the game is played? Uh, and uh, we, Annie Elmore has stepped up to the mic. Thank and, goodness. And Again. So we know who the winner is going to be today. Well, today I really focused in on a theme, and it's all about eggs. Oh. oh. Fifteen questions about eggs. Sturgeon. Each- <laughs> and uh, each of my contestants are going to get five. So okay. five questions. So we'll see who really has an egg background. And today let's make the winner the first person on our YouTube live feed that texts Sean saying, I love eggs. I love eggs. <laughs> All right, Sean, now, now, it's in, now, now it's on you. All right. I'm going to start with the chef in the hat. Go ahead. True, exit, true exit or false? Eggs are good for your eyes. Absolutely. True. Absolutely. They contain lutein, yep. which prevents cataracts and muscle degeneration. That's why I eat two eggs every day. What is the approximate number of pores in an eggshell? I'll give you multiple choice. <laughs> Is it 3,500, 12,000, or 17,000 pores in it? 17,000. Everybody Correct. knows Everybody knows that. <laughs> really? They do. I mean. <laughs> Number three, what determines the eggshell color? Is it the breed of the chicken or what the chicken eats? The feed. It's the breed. Yes, that too. Is that what you <laughs> I had to pick one out of the two. The breed determines the breed is eggshell what color. Commercial eggs are brown or white, but some breeds can also lay blue, green, or pink. Yeah, I eggs. got some in my fridge right now. Mm. Some blue eggs. True or false? 
egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. Ah, that is very true, actually. It is very true. Absolutely. And finally, five, true or false, duck eggs are higher in fat and yes. better for baking. Yes. <laughs> true. All around. Yes. All right. Any Elmore? Poitrine fumée, I mean. Uh, how can you tell the difference between a raw egg and a hard-cooked one? i tell you one thing. Uh, one is hard and one <laughs> is not. Just break the egg. You can find out real quick. <laughs> you lose. The, um, <laughs> you, if you didn't know, you would spin it because hard-cooked eggs spin really easily, but raw eggs wobble around. Okay. <laughs> right. Wow, everyone you, knows that. By now. the way, as, as a cook... Really? As a cook, if you don't know that, that's very big trouble already. Number two, if you drop an egg on the floor, what should you sprinkle on it for easy cleanup? Salt and Salt. pepper. Exactly. Salt is exactly yeah. what you do. Because Chef, it's my question. You because because it, I'm helping you. The salt you, absorbs uh, the liquid and it solidifies the egg. So then you can just scrape Scoop it, it up. up. True or false? Eggs age more in one day at room temperature than in one week in the refrigerator. True. It's true. For as hens age, do their eggs get larger or smaller? Uh, smaller. Larger. Larger. Really? You need to get some chickens in your backyard to <laughs> figure this out. <laughs> How many times a day um, does a hen turn her egg to keep the yolk from sticking uh, to the side of the egg? Is it approximately... 10, 25, or 50 times? 10. 50! Wow, that's wow. a lot of work. 50. That's a busy hen. Wow. <laughs> How'd she do, chef? Terrible. She did, she did two out of five. <laughs> she Ooh, I don't think she eats that wow. many eggs. Wow. That's embarrassing. We're going to have to do egg class. Um, <laughs> Tom Douglas? Yes. Do eggs need to be refrigerated? The health department likes us to refrigerate them, but the question is, do they need to be no. So the answer, the and the, the, mo- the longer answer to that is, if you've ever refrigerated egg once, they have to stay refrigerated. Yes. Once you refrigerate, always refrigerate. But if they've never been refrigerated, they don't need to be refrigerated. Correct. The short answer is yes. As a way to prevent salmonella contamination, eggs are washed and sanitized as soon as they're laid. So the process removes potential bacteria, but it also removes the egg's naturally protective coating, which would otherwise allow it to be uh, safe at room temperature. Cool. So, so the, it's the, the real farm question fridge. is, after an egg is washed, does it need to be refrigerated? Yes, exactly. Yes, yes. So, and the answer is yes. So I'm yes. correct. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's why Tom's trying to get to. No, he's, um, got, he's got the answer for sure. Which bird species lays the largest eggs in proportion to their body size in proportion to their body size so annie oh. would know about this she's a mini <laughs> <laughs> uh, the hand see. shot up though it did but yeah you know the obvious answer is an ostrich but it might not be in proportion to its body size there you go yeah i was thinking that so too. i am going to say a goose kiwi this is a sort of a trick question what is the most accurate aid way you can tell the egg's age on the carton. There's like a little code on the side of the carton. Like three, like, <laughs> yeah. three little there, there are three codes. different codes. Yeah. 
So that's how you tell. <laughs> what is? What, what, is, is, the what is the date? The month, the date, and the year. <laughs> so they it will have uh, the plant number is one number, and then it'll have the sell by number. But the experts say look at the packed on date. Yeah, which is. Um, labeled with the Julian date. Uh-huh. So it's a three-digit code. What I, exactly what I just said. The code on the side of the box. The, ju- the Julian calendar, the day the eggs were washed and packaged. So what, do they make it that hot so nobody can read it? Right. Or is that exactly what that is? Okay. And we, su- uh, we summarize that. U.S. Department of Agriculture says easily five weeks of age yeah. to be safe. So was I, was I right or wrong? <laughs> Yeah, you, you were, were right, Tom. Right. Okay. Tom, you were right. I think I was half right. a point. Yeah. Harriet, a hen from the United Kingdom, laid the world's largest egg in 2010. What was the diameter of her egg? <laughs> what, was Harriet a chicken? Yeah. Oh, that's helpful to know. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was what a turkey. What was the diameter? The diameter. So I would suggest that the eggs that I collect or we collect from our chickens every day are about... Three inches in diameter. Yes. So this yeah. is the largest recorded ever done. I'm going to go double. Six inches. 9.1. Oh, my God. That's like a goose Are you serious? <laughs> when it comes to the number of eggs laid each year in the United States, what are the, do you know what the two leading states are of egg production? Well, I'm sure that Arkansas is going to be one of the states because that's where they have the longest chicken coop. They have, like, chicken coop everywhere. Uh, Chef Terry would like to answer answer for me. No, for you. Okay, so uh, Terry says Arkansas, and I'm going to go with uh, Iowa. It is Iowa, in fact, that leads with 14 billion eggs and coming up right behind them. 14 with a B? Yeah, with a B, and Ohio is right behind him with 7.9 billion. Oh, so I got half of it right. Whoa. So I believe that Chef Terry is our winner today. Is that yeah. Nice job, Chef Terry. Annie, come back when you grow up, girl. Uh, <laughs> you're still sitting in a puppy doll world. Uh, if you want to be part of Thank the show, you, you can join the community on YouTube Live at Tom Douglas and Co. Or buy a ticket to join us in the studio here at the Hot Stove Society Show at hotstovesociety.com. The show is produced by Pamela Hinckley, technical by Sean McFadden, and our editor is Sean Don't Call Me Del Torre. Remember, if you miss any episode of our show on Cairo, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe with your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening, and have a great weekend.